That is an impressive chart. Seriously. Oh, it was an impressive chart. It's not so much anymore. But because I've got attention deficit issues, we are going to put that over there. Because otherwise we're going to find me just going, hey, oh, pretty. How's everybody doing? Awesome. That's great. Um, our pastors are gone. Not all of them, but two-thirds. Uh, so we, we lost two pastors and a cop. Um, you know, because somebody's got to watch the two pastors, right? You know? Um, you know, because, you know, Jim's out of control. But, um, you, you know... Uh, Frank travels quite a bit, right? His ministry is changing, and uh, his ministry is growing. And I have, a, I have a great deal of respect and admiration for that. You know, he's, he's done a lot here at our, at our church, and, and, you know, I've seen, I've known him a really long time now. I've seen him grow. I've seen him change. And the fact that, that God is still taking him, using him, changing him to, to mold into a new ministry, and, and Pastor Jim, too. Um, these guys, I, I appreciate the fact that these guys are gone. I, I, you guys, I... I have the advantage, disadvantage, however you want to look at it. You know, I, when, when Frank leaves town, he doesn't stop working, right? When, even when he goes on vacation, he doesn't stop working. He's just changing his venue. He's always reading a book. He's always doing something. He's always calling somebody on the phone. He's always meeting with someone. And conveniently, he passed that trade on to his son because Jim never stops moving either. So it's just I, I'm glad they've taken a break, and I'm glad they got out of here for, for their sake, although, you know. Yeah, and Judy's, because Judy can relax this week. So, uh, it's been four years since the church flooded, right? So I can tell this joke. What? Oh, I was going to say 10 years ago? Oh, did I have a stroke? Somebody should have told me. Um, 2010, the big flood. For those of you that, that don't know about the flood, you can talk to us later. Um, we tried to form an indoor pool down in the basement. We've got pictures. Anyway, so this, uh, this gentleman lived by the, uh, by the river, and uh, uh, it started to flood. That's why I can tell the joke, because it's about a flood. So the river flooded, and uh, it, it uh, came up to the, to the bottom steps of his house, and he was kind of cut off. He couldn't get away, and this guy comes up in a rowboat. He said, come on, get the guy in the rowboat. says, come on, get the rowboat. I'll, I'll save you. And the guy said, nope, wait for God to save me. I said, fine, and he rode off. Water continues to, to, to rise, right? Goes past the first floor of his house. So now the guy's on the second floor sitting at the window watching the flood. Guy comes by in a motorboat. Different guy. He says, come on, get in the boat, get in the boat, I'll save you. And the guy says, nope. I'm waiting for God to save me. While the water continues to rise, the guy climbs out of his house, gets on his roof, a helicopter comes by. Drops down a ladder. Rescue guy's leading out the side. Come on, climb up the ladder, I'll rescue, I'll rescue. The guy says, nope. Waiting for God to rescue me. Well, the water continued to rise, went over the roof of his house. The guy drowned to death. He's up in heaven. He's talking to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I had faith. I had faith. I believed you were going to save me. Jesus looks at him and said, what more do you want? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. Thank you. I like that one, too. But unlike... Unlike others that stand up here, if you don't think that's funny, you don't have to laugh. Um, 
So my question to you is, what are you waiting for? What are, are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And what are you waiting for? Right? A lot of us, we wait on God. But we don't wait on God like the scriptures talk to us to wait on God, right? We're not, you know, where the scripture talks about, you know, waiting for his power, waiting for his strength, you know, waiting on God as a, as a, as a, as a butler or as a servant would wait on, on their master. We wait for God to move before we do anything. We just sit there and we wait. Now, I have to, um, I have to define something because I said something in a message a, a, a month or two back and people were confused. I used the word romantic. Romantic ideas. I don't mean like, like you know, googly eyes, hearts, you know, man, woman, romantic. What I'm talking about are fanciful, impractical, unrealistic ideas. So romantic ideas. The idea of being imbued with or dominated by idealism, a desire for adventure, right? And a lot of us idealize or romanticize our relationship with, with God in a very impractical way, right? We, we, we expect him to intervene in our lives in a supernatural way every time. We expect to see... You know, tongues of fire. We want to see the, the dove descend from heaven. We, we, we want to feel the, 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 the spine-tingly things. But realistically, realistically, that's not always how God works. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, first of all, I just pray for safety for uh, all of the Sussler men. <laughs> uh, while they're gone, Lord, um, let them have a great trip. Let them catch an immense amount of salmon and bring some back for me. And Lord, also please uh, bless this time. Uh, please give me the words to speak and, and help me keep control so I speak the words you want spoken, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing is more apparent when we wait for God as when we talk about our callings, right? Let's get something straight. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have received salvation from God, if you have been adopted into the family of God, you have a call on your life. Everybody has a plan and a purpose for the life. We, we, say that, we say that all the time. We say it kind of, I don't know, off the cuff, almost, almost flippantly, really. But it's true. You know, it, it's, not, it's not that just you were, you were saved, but you were given a, a purpose within, within the kingdom of God. You are who you are. Your experiences, your talents, your gifts, your abilities are things that God has, has given to you and specifically to you. And so he expects you to use them, right? And, but then we talk about things like, what is your calling? What is your calling? And we stop, and we envision this huge, glorious thing, and someday I will, or one day God will let me, or one day, I don't know, the good fairy will come down with her wings, pop me on the head, and I will become. That's really, really not it. We often want our answers right now. I always want my answers right now. That's what I, I, I prefer not to do anything till I have all my answers. Um, we sit, we wait for our lives to be revealed by the Holy Spirit, or we look for that great spiritual moment. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. 
After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the waters, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. When I was baptized, I came up out of the water, and I toweled off. (laughs) Frank's lips were blue. Because we, at that time, were using another church for our baptismal services. We didn't, we didn't use Noise Pool. They had a, they had a I don't know, an in-ground baptismal. And uh, they forgot to fill it up for us. Uh, and, and it was unheated. And so all they had was cold water for it. And we were there for about an hour. Um, and Frank was shivering and really cold. And it was funny. In Genesis chapter 28, it says, Meanwhile... Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. And your descendants, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They were spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although the name of the nearby village was Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up and become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. When we bought our house in Waukesha, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant. That was not our plan, right? We had, so, we had put our house up in Waukesha, or Waukesha, in West Dallas, which is like Waukesha. It's nothing like Waukesha. No, it's nothing like Waukesha. Um, and we put our house up for sale in August, and it didn't sell until, until February. And then we bought this house, and we closed, and she was, she was, we moved in two weeks later. We had my son, and the first night that I slept in our house, I slept all night long. I didn't have a dream. I woke up the next morning. Nothing happened. Nothing, nothing like that has ever happened to me. I have, never, I have never gone to sleep and had this great godly dream that reveals to me what God is going to do in my life. I'm not saying God doesn't operate that way. I'm not. He certainly does. His word says that he does, right? So obviously, it's true. But for most of us, The moments that we have, the callings that we have, don't require a move of God of that nature. It would actually scare me if I was so outside the will of God (laughs) for me, right? Because Scripture's already written. 
nothing's going to be in here about me. <laughs> if something that dramatic would have to happen to me in order for me to get my life back where I needed to be. But for us, we want the whole plan, right? We know that we have a call in our lives. We know that we have gifts. We know that we have abilities, but we want the whole plan. We want to know where we're going to start, where we're going to end, and how great we're going to be. We want the big spiritual moments in order to tell us exactly where we're going and what we're to be when we get there. We like to know stuff. And like the man in the flood, we wait. We wait for God to mysteriously mold us, use us, and move us. But that's not how it works. Our God is more than a miracle miracle worker. He's also an engineer. It's good news for some of you. I've heard the phrase, and I've heard it from up here too, by the way, that our God is progressive. Our God is progressive. And that always has left me a little bit... To me, that's inadequate. And it's tough to... It's tough to fit into a sentence, everything that God is, right? But God is progressive. Mm. Our God is complete, okay? Our God knows the complete story from beginning to end. He reveals himself in a progressive nature. So it's not so much that he is progressive. It's that he works with us in a progressive manner, right? Because that's how you and I work. We start here, and we go somewhere. We all have a beginning, and we all have an end. When we started, we didn't... (laughs) Should I have not put... I'm sorry. I'll try not to breathe. When we started, most of us were small... Relatively uncoordinated and very little communication skills. But that's changed, right? One step at a time, it's changed. Math. Is Brenda here? Hi, Brenda. I hate math. Brenda likes math because Brenda's sick. No. (laughs) It's because Brenda's very smart. She likes math. She gets math. It makes sense to her. Math does not make sense to me. It has never made sense to me. Because math lies to you. (laughs) Case in point. First grade, Miss Lewenberger's first grade class, East Troy Elementary School. We got a number line. It was sticky on one side, so you peeled it, stuck it on there. Started at zero, went up to 20. We learned how to add on that number line. We learned how to subtract on that number line. But you know what she told us, Miss Loonberger, who later became Mrs. Wolf, in case any of you know her? She's probably dead now. Wow. Anyway, we learned that you cannot subtract a larger number from a smaller number, right? Exactly. She lied to me. Because later on in my educational career in Milwaukee Public School, we learned that you could subtract a larger number from a smaller number, and that gave you a negative number. Correct. But what we then learned was that you cannot do the square root of a negative number. 
which later I found out was a lie. You can do the square root of a negative number, but you may not do or cannot do the square root of negative 1, which once you get to trigonometry, you find out is a lie. There is the square root of negative 1. It is denoted by the letter i. It is considered an imaginary number, and you use that to solve all sorts of equations because it works. Do you know why it works? Because it's imaginary. You made it up. My imaginary friend can do incredible things, does great feats of strength. You guys don't have to believe it. I have to believe it. He's imaginary. That's why I don't do math. But to be fair, math is, math is one of those things that's progressive, right? If you don't learn to add, you can't learn to multiply. It doesn't make sense. If you don't learn to subtract, it makes it very difficult to learn how to divide. And you certainly need to be able to multiply and subtract and add and blah, 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 blah by the time you get to algebra. I tuned out in my educational career about seventh grade in math class. Somewhere around junior year, that came back to bite me. Because Mr. Olincheck, who actually I think he is dead, actually, Mr. Olincheck, uh, was a great teacher, was a fantastic teacher, lousy student. He was explaining things in a very rational way for those people that had been paying attention for their educational careers. Everybody else got it. I didn't. I managed to squeak out a C in that class. I have no idea how. I have no idea how. And that was the last math course I took, ever. I got to college. I tested into calculus, but I didn't have to take it. <laughs> so I didn't. I was done. But our lives with Christ is similar to that. Is that when God needs you to be over there, doing what he's asked you to do or doing what he's called you to do, your calling begins here. Your calling is not an eventuality. Your calling is not a future state. Your calling is today. More importantly, your calling is moment by moment. Because what you learn today, you put into practice. And as you put it into practice, you grow. And as you grow, you become more useful to the Holy Spirit to be able to do different things, to be able to be put in different situations. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's where the rubber meets the road. If we are to be who he wants us to be, we need to sacrifice. You know, we, we often think of sacrifice, we think of money, we think of... You know, these huge, I don't know, I always think of animal sacrifices. But, you know, you, you, we talk about sacrifice. It's, it's, it's everything. It's everything that we are. It's our time. It's our effort. It's our, oh, when, is Derek in here? Is he teaching Sunday school? 
Man, you want to talk about I was convicted when, um, and I'm sorry, I probably should have talked about this beforehand, but he's not here. So um, when he first came from Africa, uh, came, came over from Africa, back from Africa or what have you, he was, you know, we were talking and, and chatting and, and he talked about how he tithed his time studying the word of God, tithing his time. 2.4 hours a day belong to God and God only. And I was still trying to figure out how much 10% of my salary was, right? Because when we accept Christ's invitation, when we accept his sacrifice, we belong to him, right? In essence, we sell ourselves into slavery. We become slaves to God. No longer slaves to sin, slaves to God, according to Scripture, the new Michael version. And so everything we are and everything that we have, in essence, is his. And that includes our time. That includes our efforts. And we need to change behavior to become. We need to devote effort and time to change. Because if God needs you to be a certain thing or a certain way or know a certain whatever... That takes effort. We send Colin to uh, Lake Country Christian Academy. Sounds snooty, doesn't it? Lake Country Christian Academy. used to be called Country Christian School, but they changed their name so, you know, we're uppity so we could send our kid there. Um, I'm just kidding. We're not that uppity. Um, But one of the things that I appreciate about... uh, I mean, I'm a big believer in Christian education anyway, but one of the the things that our, our school is big about is imparting the the worldview that wherever you are, you're Christ's representative. And wherever you are and whatever you do, you are a missionary, right? So we think of missionaries as though people, you know, people who go to a foreign country or people who go, you know, someplace else to start a church or start a movement, what have you. But the way our school teaches it and the way I really appreciate it is that, you know, they're imparting educational things. And so when these kids grow up, if their calling is to be an attorney right? They are a missionary for Christ who settles disputes. If a child is called to be a doctor, medical doctor, they are a missionary that also helps with physical healing. Missionary first. And that should be true with all of us, right? I don't work here full-time on staff. I mean, I'm raking in the dough. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) By the way, for those of you that don't know, I actually don't get paid. I don't get a salary. I just want to make that really clear. (laughs) Frank doubled my salary this year, and it's all warm and fuzzy. But at the job that I have, I'm a missionary. At the job you have, you're a missionary. When you go to the grocery store, you're a missionary. That's where our callings are. Now, in order to, t- we understand that we have to change and we have to change behavior, right? You can't do the same old thing and expect different results. Um, boy, it was probably back in the 90s, Alex, when you made me start working out, right? I made you start working out? I'm older now. It's going to happen. Alex has had a lot of effect on me over the years. I mean, you heard this morning, right? 
and all the church said one more song. That's Alex's fault. I can't pass pudding without hearing Alex's voice in my head. Because for years, he and I worked together at Northwestern Mutual. He would grab pudding, and he would look at me every day in the eye and say, I like pudding. Makes me happy. Every, every time I'm in the grocery store, I walk past the pudding aisle. That makes Alex happy. So whoever made whomever exercise, weight loss for me, for me, has always been relatively easy. In that, I know what I have to do to lose weight. And it's not the same for everybody, is it? There are people that change their diet, try different diets, they exercise constantly, they can't lose weight. If I exercise, I don't even have to change my diet, at least for now, right? I'm 47 years old, lots of stuff is changing, so probably this is going to change too, but as long as I exercise, I will lose weight. So when Alex was dragging me off to the fitness center at Northwestern Mutual, I lost weight. I didn't put the ding-dongs down, I didn't put the Twinkies down. In fact, I probably picked more up because I was hungrier. (laughs) But yet I still lost weight. All I had to do was change something. That's how it needs to begin for us. I don't know what your long-term call is. And odds are you don't either. But you do know what you have to do today, right? There are some things within Scripture that aren't optional for, for believers. All of us are called to be a witness. All of us are, are, are supposed to have a reason for the joy that we have, that we can share with anybody. That's all of us. All of us, right, are supposed to grow in Christ. Towards what end is different. But all of us have the requirement of spending time with God and growing in him. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we have to truly change on the inside in order to truly change on the outside. None of us should be playing at our walk with God. A true walk with God requires inward change and outward evidence. If you're just doing the outward evidence, that's a dangerous place to be. So we learn what it means to be Christ-like, applying what you know in the day-to-day. And that's how God uses us and advances us to where he wants us to be. It starts with a step, and it starts with today. And motivation matters, right? That's part of our inward change. I don't know what it was like for you, but I always was a little bit better right around Christmas time in hopes that I would get a better gift. Or uh, sometimes, obviously not me, but sometimes, you know, you might change your behavior at home to manipulate your spouse. That has never happened at our house. I've read about this. It can happen. 
But God wants true service. Motivated by love, coming from a pure heart. And that's where it begins. That's where your call begins. You don't need to wait for some huge spiritual moment. You just need to be faithful today. In Luke 19, verse 11, it says, The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, excuse me, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I've invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops that you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other, standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, he said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. This morning we had a word, and it said, and I'm going to paraphrase again, are you prepared to do what is necessary in your walk to prepare yourself, to be the woman or man of God that you need to be in order to achieve what it is that God has for you to do? The giftings that you've been given, again, from the word this morning, are for kingdom purposes. It's great that we can take these gifts and these abilities and these talents and do different things with them. But you have them for a reason. You have them for kingdom reasons. And the purposes in God's, it, the God's purposes in your life will be completed if you're faithful. And there are some very clear biblical concepts and stories and examples of what it takes to find and fulfill your calling. But that's next week. So what are you waiting for? Part one. So now you have to come back next week and figure out where all this ends. I've never done a two-parter before, by the way. I've been, I've been, how long have I been ordained? Like I'm looking at you. I have been ordained a long time, 16 years. Somehow, somehow it reflected off your glasses. And I've never done a two-part series, ever. I don't have the attention span for it. But I'm still growing, and I'm still learning, and God wants me to do new things. The same thing is true with you. And our God is a very practical God. He does great and miraculous things in our lives. He touches our lives and restores lives in ways that's not possible by human means. But that doesn't mean that's the only way he works. 
And that doesn't mean he's an impractical God. He has very practical steps. He has very practical purposes for each and every person in this room for you to achieve. And our goal as a church, as a body, is to help you get there. To help you discover. To help you to be. Because that's where fulfillment is in life. Right? It's not in the stuff. It's not in the job. It's not in the new house. It's in being who God wants you to be. That's where true joy is. That's where true fulfillment is. Father God, I thank you.